This Advent season, we are looking at the Gospel of Matthew and the story of Jesus' birth. Matthew, in his Gospel, highlights the humble beginnings of Jesus. That yes, Jesus descended from the royal line of King David, but it had been over 500 years since a Davidic king sat on the throne of Jerusalem. And so to all appearances, Jesus' birth was anything but royal. In fact, many people would have looked down on Jesus, Mary, and Joseph because of the seemingly shameful circumstances of his birth. And to better understand why that is the case, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 this morning. So I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles or open your bulletin to the sermon text. We're in Matthew 1, at the end of chapter 1, looking at verses 18 through 25. Let us hear the Word of God this morning. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Christmas story, that it is not some fable of old or legend that we have lost But it is a historical story, a true story of what you did in the world and the great miracle of the incarnation of God taking on flesh. So, God, we thank you. We pray that you would help us to see your truth in the text this morning. Help me, O God, to faithfully proclaim your word that we might understand it. Use me in spite of of my sin and my weakness, O God, to faithfully proclaim your word. Give us ears to hear. O Lord, just as Joseph had ears to hear the word from the angel, God, may we hear your word from Scripture today. And may it work in our hearts and minds and so strengthen us and give us faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Looking at our text this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the example of Joseph. And we're going to do that by looking at kind of the three acts of his story, or the three scenes of our passage. We've got three of those scenes, and then we're going to reflect on how Joseph is an example for us today and our own faith in Jesus. So we're starting with Joseph, and we start in Act 1 at the very beginning of this story, and it's the problem of Mary's pregnancy. Now you might ask, why is that a problem? We know that Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
Matthew tells us that in verse 18. Our New Testament reading from Luke 1 also gives us the full account of Mary receiving the news that she is going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And so we know how Mary got pregnant. Mary knows how Mary got pregnant. Problem was, nobody else knew. When Matthew writes, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, he really means people noticed she was pregnant now. She wasn't glowing with some kind of glory that revealed the Son of God was in her womb. She looked like any other young pregnant woman. And that would mean that everyone would assume that Mary got pregnant the normal way. And that was a problem for Mary and Joseph because they were not yet married. In those days, there was a strong stigma attached to out-of-wedlock pregnancies, and the community would have looked down on Mary, thinking she was immoral. They would have excluded her from social gatherings so that the shame of her sin did not contaminate or spread to others. People would whisper as Mary walked by. They would stare. They would judge Because to the eyes of everyone around her, Mary would be seen as a sinner. Joseph knew all of that. Even more, Joseph knew he was not the father. Others may have assumed that it was his child, but Joseph knew better. He had not sinned. He had been faithful to Mary. And Mary, it appeared, had not been faithful to him. Hence, the problem of her pregnancy. And so what was he going to do? Would he follow through with his engagement and bring Mary's shame upon himself? Would he really raise this child that wasn't his? Would this honorable man want to bring shame to his family? Or would he distance himself from Mary, making it clear that she is the one who has sinned, not me? Matthew tells us that Joseph thought long and hard about this. It says in verse 19 that Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He tried to think, what is the good and moral thing to do in this situation? Now, maybe Joseph was being kind to Mary because Mary had told him about this angelic visit and the Holy Spirit conception. And Joseph was like, okay. He was like, I need to be nice to this person who seems out of it. Or perhaps Joseph simply had pity on this woman whom he had hoped to marry. Whatever the reason, Joseph resolved to act as righteously as he could because he was a righteous and moral man. As angry as he might be about how his life was disrupted, he didn't want Mary to suffer any more shame than was necessary. And so that's how he plans to deal with the problem. That's the first act of the story. He's got to deal with this problem of the pregnancy. But in the second act, everything changes. Because after coming to his decision, an angel of the Lord provides Joseph with some much-needed clarity. An angel appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him that Mary has been faithful. She has not sinned. She really is pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure Joseph was like, whew, that's really nice to know. He could have taken Mary's word if Mary had told him, but any extra clarity from the angel is excellent We're happy to know that this pregnancy is not adulterous, but it's miraculous. And so, that's great news. But it was even better than that. Because the angel announced more. 
that though Mary's child was not physically Joseph's son, he was the child who was a promised descendant of Joseph's ancestor David. That just like this conception was unlike any other conception, so this child would be unlike any other child. This would be the Savior of God's people. And notice what this Savior is saving them from. The angel does not say that he will be born to save God's people from their Roman oppressors. Other children had been born to do stuff like that. Long ago, Moses had been born in Egypt to help lead God's people out of slavery from the Egyptians. Years later, Samson had been born to be a deliverer, a savior of God's people from the Philistines. But Jesus would save his people from their sins. God's people had no shortage of enemies in history. Egyptians, Amorites, Canaanites, Philistines, Assyrians, Babylonians, Romans. They had all kinds of enemies who attacked and oppressed them. And yet the greatest enemy throughout Scripture is sin. Our Old Testament reading from Psalm 130 is a cry for help, not about an enemy oppressor, but about the sin within. And Jesus is the answer that God sends to that cry. He was born to save us from our sins through His life, His death, and His resurrection. And in order to be that kind of Savior, He needed to be truly different. Hence, the truly different conception. That due to being conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus could be fully God and fully man. Matthew references this prophecy from Isaiah 7 about a virgin who would give birth to a child named Emmanuel, meaning God with us. But this wasn't just some child who, like God said, my power's going to be with this guy. No. God himself will be with us because Jesus is God himself. So Joseph is like still sitting back there like, okay. So things are good, right? And now he's just overloaded with so much more. And so not only does Joseph have to trust that this pregnancy is divine, but this child is the promised Messiah, the one who would save God's people from their sins. He had to trust that this child that Mary would give birth to was God in the flesh. The angel told him so much. It's not like the angel shows up and says, hey, Joseph, Mary's story checks out. You're good. Like, that would have been great if he just stopped there. But he said so much more that this pregnancy that appears to be something shameful is actually the fulfillment of God's great saving plan for his people. And so then we're left wondering, how is Joseph going to respond? Well, that's act three, how he responds. And Joseph responds with decisive faith. Here's what it says. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The angel gave Joseph two commands. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife and call the kid Jesus. Check, check. That's what we're told. The very next thing we are told he did those two things. Now, we are not told the manner of Joseph's obedience. We don't know if he like woke up from that dream and was joyful, overjoyed that the Messiah has come. The Messiah has come. I can't wait to go see Mary. 
or if he woke up and was apprehensive and like, whew, like, I got to do this? Like, okay. Got it. Maybe he was a little doubtful. We don't know. Maybe he's like, what did I eat last night? What was going on? Did that really happen? All we know is he acted decisively. That before the angel's announcement, Joseph deliberated and considered and was wondering what to do. After the angel announced something, it was clear. This is what we do. This is the path, and I will follow it. But the path was not clear to everybody. The angel did not visit everyone in the town of Nazareth that night and say, Hey, just so y'all know, Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph did not receive a certificate of divine conception to show any naysayers who might scoff about them. No. The shame and suspicion that he had hoped to avoid for himself would follow him and Mary all through the pregnancy and even after that child was born. That's why the angel tells him, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Because Joseph had reason to fear because there would be this shame around Mary's pregnancy. Joseph had to believe God's word even when those around him thought he was foolish for obeying it. His acts of obedience would be ridiculed. He would be scorned by the world. In fact, he would probably have well-meaning friends and relatives pulling him aside trying to change his mind. Joseph, bud, what you doing? Why are you doing this, Joseph? You don't want to be associated with her. What would dad think? This isn't even your kid. Just send her away kindly. Do the right thing, Joseph. You deserve better. He'd hear those things. They'd sound right. The only way he'd know he shouldn't do that is by trusting the Word of God. And in Joseph's eyes... The scorn of the world was nothing compared to the promised blessings of God. He trusted the angel's announcement that this was the Savior. He believed that the circumstances of this child's conception were not immoral, they were miraculous. Joseph set his eyes on the salvation this child would bring, and he acted with decisive faith. Yes, his neighbors, his friends, his family might sinfully gossip about him. They might judge him. But he knew that the only hope for their sins and his sins was in this child. In this child whose conception they criticized. And so that's Joseph's story. We don't get a lot more. But having reviewed that story, I want, I want to turn the spotlight away from Joseph and onto us. I want to specifically focus on those of us here today who profess to believe in Jesus. Because we have a lot to learn from his decisive faith in the face of scorn and shame. You see, Joseph dealt with the stigma of an out-of-wedlock pregnancy. It was a big stigma. In recent years, it has significantly decreased as a stigma. That's a story for another day. We face a different kind of stigma than that. Because there has been an increasing stigma in recent years that seems very new. In our world today, 
It is decisive faith in Jesus Christ that is stigmatized. This stigma against bold faith in Jesus may seem new, but it's not. There has been and always will be a stigma against the kind of decisive faith that Joseph demonstrated. The world scorns those who wholeheartedly live for the Lord. And our world increasingly reviles the kind of holy living that God calls us to embody. The world scoffs at our commitment to self-denial. It resents how we endure suffering. It's disgusted by our evangelistic efforts to call people to repent and believe and avoid God's judgment. The world scorns decisive faith in Jesus. I want you to hear very clearly what I am saying. This is how the world reviles unashamed decisive faith. None of us likes to be reviled. And so all of us are tempted to exhibit a different kind of faith. A faith that is ashamed of itself. A faith that seeks to avoid the stigma of being a Christian. Yeah, I want to believe in Jesus, but just not so much that other people notice. And so instead of following Jesus boldly, we try to merely live as moral people with Christian values. But you might say, well, doesn't the world scorn those Christian values? Well, yes, some of the world does. But as many of you know, we live in a highly polarized society. And so, yes, one spectrum absolutely reviles conservative moral values. But the other end praises them. And we can find safety from scorn in that community. We can be embraced as good, moral people. But do you see how that was Joseph's temptation? To not trust God and to be a good, moral person. Many in that community would have told him, just divorce her quietly be a good and righteous man, keep your reputation. He would have saved himself scorn by doing that. But Joseph instead chose decisive faith. He did not choose to be a merely moral man. Hear this. Satan is happy if you are merely a moral person with conservative values. In fact, he will make sure that you are praised for that. He will make sure that you do not face too much scorn for living a good moral life as long as you do not live with decisive faith for Jesus. One person writes that hell will be filled with people who were avidly committed to Christian values. But Christian values cannot save anyone and never will. Salvation only comes by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference that decisive faith makes? Joseph could have feared the shame of decisively following God's word. 
He could have feared what others thought of him. He could have feared standing out as different from his neighbors, his friends, and his family. But instead, he heard the word and he decisively followed it. Knowing that the promised blessings of faith in Jesus far outweighed any approval of the world. And even though Joseph was a just and moral man, he knew that he was a sinner. And he could not stand on his own just and moral self that held to conservative principles. He needed a Savior to save him from his sin, even if the world scorned that Savior. And so the question for us this morning is, what about us? Are we afraid of the shame that comes from decisive faith in Jesus? Are you nervous that people might think you're being too radical or extreme in trusting in Jesus Christ? Do you fear what others will think of you if you say the words sin and hell and talk about the gospel? Do you fear the social stigma of missing activities for things involving the Lord? Do you fear standing out too much for Jesus? Are we ashamed of our faith or are we unashamedly decisive in our faith? I would guess, and I will speak for myself as well, that all of us are tempted in this way to one degree or another. And may the Spirit convict us and empower us to be decisive in our faith because we need to hear that the scorn that we suffer for faith in Jesus is more than worth it. See, in the days of Mary's pregnancy, Joseph could not see that it was worth it. He had to trust it by faith. No one else could see. Everyone else thought he was foolish. Everyone else thought he was doing the wrong thing, trusting God's Word in that way. Well, in the same way, we who trust in Jesus today cannot always see that reward, that blessing of decisive faith. And yet a day is coming when our Lord Emmanuel will be with us again in the flesh. He promises at the end of Matthew's Gospel a different kind of Emmanuel. That in the Great Commission, he says, I will be with you always. And he is by the Holy Spirit. And a day is coming when our Lord and Savior returns. When the Savior of sinner will come, will come and save us from our sins. Let us long for that day when every knee will bow, every tongue confess, every eye will see that Jesus is Lord. And let us be faithful in holding on to that truth and sharing it with others that we have a Jesus, a Savior of sinners, and He can save all their sins. Let us pray. Well, Lord, we pray that You would give us boldness and zeal. We pray that we would not be so bold that we are actively seeking to provoke others. Help us not to fully disregard what others think. Rather, let us simply not be afraid. We are not striving to be antagonistic for Jesus. That is not helpful. We are to be loving and kind and compassionate. But help us not to be afraid of shame and scorn. Help us instead to be like watchmen waiting for the morning. Watchmen waiting for Jesus, waiting for the one who has promised to save us from our sins. May we wait for him. May we hold fast to him, no matter what the world may think. And may we find security in Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name, amen.